Good afternoon, Jack Riccardi. Hi, Jack. Good Good afternoon. Good afternoon. It's good to be back. Yes. How are you doing? Back. Good. It was a little weird. Some strange people showed up last week, and uh, <laughs> it was weird. <laughs> oh, you don't want to say that. I I appreciate those yes. guys uh, filling in. I I, uh, I hear I hear both of them did it. Yes. It was a, it was like uh, a tag team effort. So right at the outset, let me just say, so you don't get your hopes up. Only one host this afternoon. Yeah. Just it's just it's just me. I don't have any surprise visitors or guests or whatever at least not that i know i guess i guess i can't say that because if it is a surprise i wouldn't even know um i'll tell you a funny story about uh, something that happened uh, last few days i've got that coming up we've got all we've got a new jr poll um all the breaking news everything that's going on today um so w- while i was away from the show they started the january 6th hearings and um those continued today the, the televised live hearings, which to me, and you can tell me what you think, these feel like a infomercial for the Democrats in the midterms. You know, I, I don't know if they could have possibly foreseen this, but juxtapose, if you will, having these hearings about what happened at the Capitol a year and a half ago, while in the news... Hour by hour, we are getting the accounts of a would-be assassin of Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh. And the nonchalance of that story is striking. I mean, it's one of those no-big-deal, like-this-happens-all-the-time kinds of things, but the whole premise of the January 6th investigation and hearings, quote unquote, is that this is an aberration, this is an abnormality. These people that showed up at the Capitol on January 6, 2021, were uh, a a direct threat to you and me, a dagger at the heart of democracy. Well, what is the assassin of a Supreme Court justice, if not that? Now, it's true that they stopped him. He didn't kill Brett Kavanaugh. It's also true that the January 6th rioters, or whatever you want to call them, didn't stop or undo the 2020 election and its subsequent um, procedures. It's probably safe to say that the Capitol cannot be taken again the way it was briefly taken by these rioters. It is not at all clear to me that we've done anything about potential assassins or violence against the Supreme Court justices. The protests continue outside their house. Congress refuses to pass a bill that would strengthen and put teeth into the security behind that. You know, that's that's another co-equal branch of government. You can't help but miss the irony or hypocrisy of Congress being so concerned about their own hides, but completely uninterested in what happens to Brett Kavanaugh or Amy Coney Barrett. Now, you know, without me even saying it, but I'll say it anyway, you know that if if the same scenario had played out against a liberal Supreme Court justice, it would be page one, it would be the top story. Or at least it would share top story with the January 6th hearing. Maybe they'd even combine the two. We know why they're burying it. It's not convenient to the narrative. It doesn't support the narrative. It doesn't help them make 
their story. But there's another reason, and I want to just remind you of this if you've forgotten. During the confirmation battles over Trump's Supreme Court nominees, leading Democrats, including the Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, used some pretty strong language about these would-be Supreme Court justices. He said that they were going to reap the, the storm, that they didn't know what would hit them. He warned them that if they came after Roe v. Wade, they wouldn't know what hit them. So the media can't cover this story because it's too much like what Schumer said. The television ratings are not great for these hearings. I'll admit, I'm not watching them. The ratings are not great. To put it in perspective, I've seen some people that are anti-Trump post the ratings, and it's probably the case that they just don't know the context for the numbers, but about 21 million people watched the Thursday night hearing. That sounds like a lot of people. I've, you know, I've never had 21 million people over to my house. But State of the Union speeches routinely pull almost twice that. Trump's first State of the Union speech was more than twice that. The 20 million was more than the impeachment trial, but this is sort of the third impeachment trial, if you think about it. In other words, it's not like these hearings are moving the needle. And that's the whole idea. The whole idea of these hearings is that you will come to your senses and realize that gas prices are not your problem, food inflation is not your problem, wage erosion is not your problem, spiking crime rate in your city, not not a problem. Trump is your problem. Trump's the only problem. Whatever the question is, Trump is the answer. Whatever the answer is, Trump is the question. So the idea of these hearings is you forget about all that other stuff, you stupid, dumb, racist Americans. This is what you should be concerned about. Well, the only people who are going to sit there and take that are people that want to take it, that want to believe that. They already believe it. So fine, you've got 20 million people that hate Trump watching a hate Trump show. I don't, I don't see any place for me in that. We also remember when communists and fascists were putting every American city to the torch, or were trying to, and there was no FBI effort into looking who organized, funded, coordinated that. As somebody pointed out the other day, the FBI's response to the BLM riots was to kneel to BLM. So we remember when the violence came to our neighborhoods and our cities and how little these people cared about it or how much they made excuses for it and now we are supposed to be worried about when it came to their workplace. Tough luck. Who wants a lecture from these people? These moral inferiors. And who really is going to be persuaded that they should stop worrying about inflation, gas prices, baby formula, feeding their family, you know, selfish stuff like that? You really need to be thinking about Trump, folks. It's derangement. It's distraction. And these TV ratings show that people, by and large, are not playing along. Look, I hate what happened on January 6th. I said it then, I'll say it again. 
It shouldn't have happened. It was wrong. People were lied to. Trump is one of the ones that lied to them. But it wasn't an insurrection. It wasn't a revolution. It wasn't a coup. None of these people had guns. The only shooting was of one of these people, not by them. By the way, they're still lying about that. They say four police or five police or six police officers were killed on January 6th. That's not true. And they know it's not. Our, our networks, I'm sorry to say, that we carry on this station are still saying that. It's not true. Not only are they lying, but they know they're lying and they're not sorry that they're lying. And then there's what they're not telling us and what they don't seem interested in. I'm still curious about how this even went down. Who was, who was opening the doors? Who was in that crowd? Why are we not allowed to know if there were and how many there were federal agents in that crowd or other assets? Why can't we know that? And we can't. We've been told we don't need to know it. Let's also remember why people were in the state they were in, and I'm not justifying that action. But people are supposed to believe that Joe Biden got 11 million more votes than Barack Obama ever got. He got more votes than anyone's ever gotten. Right now, he has the lowest approval ratings we've ever seen in modern times. Right now, we see that he and his policies are a disaster. Yet we're supposed to believe that just a couple of years ago, a record number of us were fist-pumping and high-fiving for this guy. That's simply not believable. What's the truth? It's not that. Why did we see so many weird things happen with the 2020 election? that are not explained. We're told generically, generally, by people like Bill Barr, th the election wasn't stolen. Okay, well then, fine, but explain to me all these apparent efforts to steal it. I see bank robbers in the bank, and it's after hours. So if you tell me they haven't taken anything, I still would like to know what they're doing in there. You know? Like, why, why is the vault door open? Why did you stop counting ballots in the middle of the night? Why did you find ballots two days later? Why did you let people vote without ID? Why is that okay? It's not, of course. And this is where we're at right now. We're, we're being governed and led by people uh, we don't trust. Now, all my life, I've heard people complain about politicians. All my life. I've heard people say they're, they're idiots, they're corrupt, they're slimy, they're... You know. Okay. But there was always one thing you could count on with politicians, right? I don't care what party they were, I don't care whether they were local, state, feds. One thing you'd always count on with politicians is they want to be popular, they crave it. Personally, they crave it. But also, as a practical matter, they want to stay in office, right? They want to keep this, this baby going. So whenever they got something wrong, or the tables were turned, or their policies weren't working, or people were in, in agony and, and, and angry, those politicians would flip-flop. They would pivot. 
They would turn on a dime. They'd forget they'd ever promised X, and now they were all about Y. You could always count on that because they wanted to stay in office. And, and Peggy Noonan wrote a column about this in the Wall Street Journal. It was very good. She said the difference with these progressives is they're embracing the chaos. They are embracing the fail because they're not interested in results. They're only interested in theory. So green energy is a theory. It doesn't matter what it's really doing to people. The, the Great Reset is a theory. It doesn't matter what it's really doing to people. It doesn't matter that there isn't really baby formula or that gas is really too high. You should accept all those things as part of a transition. It's glorious. You're going to be so happy on the other end. That's their attitude. They really believe in what they're doing. And there's only one remedy for this. They're not going to help us get out of this. They're not going to help us get lower gas prices or product on the shelf. The only remedy for this is to fire them. And I had people today saying, Jack, you're dreaming. That can't be done. You can't get rid of them. You can't do it. And I say, California. Voters in San Francisco just fired. They just recalled and fired a DA who they had just put in. San Francisco might be the most progressive city in the world, certainly in our country. But they couldn't live with his results, and he was unwilling to change his theory. So they said, we're moving on. The voters that put him in took him out. And that's what has to happen. And if Californians can do it, please don't tell me the Texans and Missourians and Floridians and New Yorkers can't also do it. Of course we can. We're going to have to. They won't agree that this stuff isn't working. They don't want to hear about the pain and suffering. They don't think the previous economy was great and successful. They think it was an aberration. It was a fossil fuel economy. Like, that's a bad thing. So with all these crises, this is what we're left with. Every time they come up on the ballot, every time they come up for election, you've got to fire them. I don't care if you voted for them or not, because that's the only thing that will work. So um, saw this story uh, while I was away. This is a television report in Michigan about what gas prices have done to the local ambulance service. Take a listen to this, cut number five. Gas prices are so high, the Isabella, Isabella County Sheriff's Office here says they've actually blown through their fuel budget already, so they will respond to some non-emergency calls by phone, try to resolve those issues by phone. Now, the national average for a gallon of gas hovering at just under 5 bucks at $4.97 a gallon right now. Here in Michigan, gas prices have set a record high for seven consecutive days. And according to AAA, many might be trying to stretch out whatever gas they have. The company says... In April, they responded to more than 50,000 out-of-gas calls. That's a 32% increase from the same period last year. Now, the sheriff here says it will likely be several months before a new fuel budget is passed. Mm. So police and ambulance won't roll as often because they can't afford the gas to do it. Um, and, you know... We've been talking about this for a while. I think more and more people are coming around to the idea. I mean, I was in Massachusetts. That's a, a very blue state. People are coming around to the idea that this administration has let gas prices skyrocket. 
this is on purpose. This is not, oh, gosh, we, we're as upset about it as you are. This is by design. They keep talking about it as a transition. By the way, have you noticed Democrats are very big into transitioning, right? They like, they like all kinds of transitioning. And, and you and I knew the fix was in back when Joe Biden was still a candidate. I mean, he was trying to outgreen his much younger, more progressive opponents. So you knew that if he ever somehow became president, he would have to, you know, swing for the fences. This is something he said during one of the early Democratic debates. Cut number one. Listen to this. Number one. No more subsidies for fossil fuel industry. No more drilling on federal lands. No more drilling, including offshore. No ability for the oil industry to continue to drill, period. Ends. When you say that, and you say it to appease the uh, left fringe of your party, and then the left fringe of your party comes to you with this deal that I think they must have come to him with, whereby he could be the the nominee, and he could be president, but they would be the power behind the throne. They would they would make the policy, and he would front it, and that's what's happening. When you do that, um, you are now stuck. This is what I mean. You can't pivot. You can't say, hey, everybody, we're going to become more energy independent. We're going to address this by tapping into what we have. We're going to address the geological reality. We, we're, we are a country that can and should continue for now to be a fossil fuel-based economy. No, you can't say that. And people now know it. There was a Trafalgar poll that found a majority of Americans now believe that the president is letting the prices go up. It included not only a majority of Republicans, but a big majority of independents and a quarter of all Democrats. And the difference now as I was thinking about this over the last few days, in my lifetime is that we are now governed by people that will not flip-flop, that will not change their tune. We used to joke about that, right, how the politicians flip-flop and they pivot and they pretend they were always for something they'd been against. These people can't do that. Progressives can't do it. Peggy Noonan wrote a great piece about it in the Wall Street Journal. She says uh, that one of the distinguishing characteristics about progressive politicians is, one, they don't listen to anybody. To stop them, you have to fire them. They're not normal politicians who have some give, who tack this way and that. Another characteristic, she writes, is they're more loyal to theory than to people. If people don't like the theory, that's too bad. The theory is preeminent. And some people vote for progressives and say, well, we like the sound of the theory, but we want to see how it works. And then when it doesn't work, and you tell them stop, they say you're a racist. It's good for you. This is a transition. What's the matter with you? And the only remedy then is to fire them. They've broken faith with you. You gave them your vote. They told you they'd be good for you. They're not. You went back to them and confronted them on that. This is why black voters and Hispanic voters are leaving the Democratic Party, because they're going back to the Democrats and they're saying, hey, this stuff you said would be good for us isn't. These liberal DAs aren't good for us. Defunding the police isn't good for us. Going soft on criminals isn't good for us. Turning criminal teenagers back out on the street is not good for us. We can't live like this. We want you to change the policy. And progressives are saying no. And so in San Francisco, they fired their school committee. 
and now they fired their district attorney. Don't tell me you can't do it anywhere else if you can do it in San Francisco. And so the answer is fire them, one at a time. This is a good lesson, she writes, for all politicians. Um, you can't let your theories override results. If you're in a point where you are telling yourself or other people, I know it looks like hell, but I know I'm right, you've got a problem. You are the problem. And there's no better symptom of the illness these political figures have, in my opinion, than the split screen of the January 6th hearings, which are the third Trump impeachment, while we're still allowing protesters onto the front lawn of Supreme Court justices after one of the justices uh, came uncomfortably close to being harmed. This should not be a blue-red, left-right thing. We should be able to say, keep them safe. This is a line that can't be crossed. All levels of law enforcement, all levels of politics should be united on that. We used to be. So they thought the Supreme Court might come out with the Dobbs decision today on abortion, and there were even protesters blocking off streets in D.C. in anticipation of that, but it did not happen. And uh, now it's not clear when that decision will be uh, forthcoming. The Supreme Court still has time, and it still has other cases on which it has not yet released its decisions. Joining us to talk about that right now, uh, constitutional law professor Bill Pyatt on our KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker Line. Professor, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jack, and thank you for having me. What do you read into the, if it even is a delay, uh, in releasing this Dobbs opinion? All right, I don't think it's a delay. Uh, the Supreme Court takes its summer recess at the end of June, and by that time they will have issued all of their opinions. And usually in the months of May and June, they issue opinions on Mondays by 10 o'clock, in uh, two years, though, in 2019 and 2020, they extended that into early July. So we still have two more Mondays this month, the 20th and the 27th, and then we have several days through the end of June. This case is going to be an important decision. It's going to be complicated. There are going to be dissents. There may be concurring opinions. And I think what the Supreme Court is doing is what they would have done with or without a leak or with or without the publicity. They would be taking their time to make sure that everyone, first of all, everyone in the majority has to agree with the wording, the exact wording of the majority opinion, and they have to give the dissenters time to read the draft of the majority opinion and offer their dissents, and then they proceed to release the opinions. So mm. I think they're on track. Um, I'd point out that in 2015, the big case, the Obergefell case that established the right to same-sex marriage, that opinion wasn't handed down until June 26th. So this is not really that unusual. I know there's anticipation, and mm -hmm. there is going to be some preparation. But it's probably not anything other than the court being the deliberative body that it's supposed to be. Is it conceivable, in addition to the factors you described, that they are trying to give authorities extra time to prepare for the reaction to the uh, opinion? It's possible. Um, it, that's obviously a possibility, and I, I hope that the authorities are able to put in place the security they need, and it would 
probably be appropriate for the authorities to start enforcing the law that makes it a crime to try to intimidate a, a judge or a justice. But I think you're right. It's very possible that they're trying to make sure that everything is in place so that once the opinion comes down and the protests begin and the counter-protests, that the justices are safe and that the court yeah. as an institution is safe. You mentioned uh, concurring opinions, which is where justices uh, agree uh, with the bottom line but take a different route in getting there, uh, dissenting opinions. And yet I know in our media coverage we're all kind of guilty of scoreboard reporting, right? It was 6-3, to three, it was 7-2. to two. Um, Why are, for the layman, why are concurring and dissenting opinions really important? They're important because they set the framework for what might come with the next case. The reason that the court issues opinions, obviously, is to resolve a conflict in front of them, but also to give guidance to the lower courts going forward. And a concurring opinion might say, all right, I agree with the result, but there are some factors here that if they were just slightly different, the result might be somewhat different. And even within the concurring opinions, you'll have someone that might say, all right, well, I agree with the majority. I concur with so-and-so's concurring opinion, but I offer my own separate concurring opinion. It's so that beyond the ruling in the immediate case, beyond the case that we, we have in front of us now, the Dobbs case, the justices can signal what they think would happen if the facts were slightly different or a slightly different approach comes up before them or the lower federal courts from, from now on. And so this this case seems like it might be especially important because people presume that all 50 states are going to immediately re-examine or examine their abortion laws. So the the you know sort of the recipe instructions could be even more important here than they ordinarily are. I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. This one case, the Dobbs case involves a 15 week limitation on abortions and depending what the majority opinion says states might be free not only to or would be prohibited from allowing abortions beyond 15 weeks but the, depending on the way it's written they may be precluded from allowing abortions even earlier than that we just don't know yet we have a draft opinion it's nothing but the draft and we can't rely on anything the court says actually until the formal opinion is issued all right, constitutional law professor Bill Pyatt with us on our KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker line this afternoon. Professor, thank you. We appreciate it. I know we'll be calling on you again soon. Thank you, Jack. It's 442 on 550 and 1071 KTSA, San Antonio's news talk station, 210-599-5555. We've talked about the kind of split screen or the juxtaposing of the January 6th hearings, um, whether you're watching them or not. Uh, and the ongoing threats of violence and attempted violence against the Supreme Court. Um, and I just, I don't think that's lost on people. I I think without that, people would be in a position to just judge, well, do I think this January 6th thing is being overblown, or is it, uh, am, am I in fact convinced that this was the greatest threat to our democracy since the Civil War? Um, but when you have the willful, blatant ignorance of real, threatened violence and acts of violence carried out in the name of pro-abortion, the pro-abortion side. We have pregnancy crisis centers being set on fire, graffitied, 
attacked. And then we have the attempt. And again, the guy was pretty scrambled, but um, a very, very chilling uh, attempt to attack uh, Justice Kavanaugh in his home. And I, I, I believe, despite the way the media contends that we're all oh, we're so polarized, we're at each other's throats, I think most Americans do not want anything to happen to any of the Supreme Court justices. I, I, I believe in my heart most people can clearly see that if you are threatening or intimidating or trying to one of the three co-equal branches of government, that's a problem. So if you want me to care about the threat as you are portraying it to the legislative branch, you've got to at least pay lip service to the threat to the le- to the judicial branch, and, and they're not. 210-599-5555. And then we've talked about Peggy Noonan's uh, essay where she says, look, uh, these are not people that will change course on gas, on food, on inflation, on the economy, on jobs. There's, there's no There's no getting with or reasoning with the modern progressive. He is so sure he's right that if you argue with him or differ with him, he calls you a racist. Even if, (laughs) even if that accusation is ridiculous on its face, that only, only the modern progressive can be a white guy who calls a black woman a racist when she disagrees with him. There's no one else that deranged. There's no one else that can pull that off. And speaking of dealing with people like that, They announced yesterday, this bipartisan group of senators, that they've come to an agreement. They've come to the framework. They don't have a bill. But they've come to an agreement on guns. There's a gun control deal that has been worked out by Cornyn and the Republican negotiators and the Senate Democrats. And it... um, They say they believe they will have the votes for it. Uh, They say it will protect our children, keep our schools safe, reduce the violence, and it's something they can come together on. How much confidence do you have in the Texas power grid these days? We set our power usage record yesterday, and uh, probably won't be the last one. All of this is hitting us earlier than it should be, right? So do you have a lot of confidence, a little confidence? Where, Where are you at on that right now, the Texas power grid Today's JR poll powered by Stevens Roofing, 210 599 When you heard that Republicans were going into closed door meetings with Democrats about gun control five months out before the, the midterms, midterms that, that every expert predicts will be a Republican wave election, what did you think? What did you think? Did you think Republicans were being reasonable? Did you think Republicans were trying to be a, a home for disenchanted Democrats? Like, we want to we want to show that, 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 that we're a party that you can come over to, and we, we also are worried about the things you're worried about. Did, did you think it was, it was smart and shrewd for them to negotiate on this issue? Or were you worried? Or did you think, there goes the Second Amendment? Because the, the thing I don't think Republicans get is that 
I mean, I don't think they really get who, who votes for them. And I don't think they get that for people concerned about the Second Amendment, the Republicans are not perfect or even attractive. They're just the only game in town. So you take them with all their faults and warts and stuff because you figure there isn't going to be anybody else. I mean, if you want to sum up the, the attitude in the Democratic Party, there's one guy saying out loud what a lot of them are thinking. The movie director, Michael Moore, keeps saying this. He said it again the other day in an interview. That this isn't about common sense gun control laws or nibbling around the edges. Michael Moore says we know what we have to do. Why don't we just why don't we just do it? Here he is on MSNBC, cut number three. I think that we need some really drastic action here. Um, we need a moratorium, perhaps, on gun sales. Um, we need to. Who will say on this network or any other network in the next few days it's time to repeal the Second Amendment? Hmm. Oh, you can't say that. Well, why not? Why not? So that's that's what the Republican Party represents for Second Amendment advocates. It's the only game in town. So what did you think when they went into that room? 210-599-5555. The statement, the joint statement that they put out said they're committed to increasing mental health resources, improving school safety, um, preventing dangerous criminals from purchasing weapons. It, it sounded like all stuff we're already doing. They also said they would provide, quote-unquote, resources for red flag laws. I want to wave a red flag about red flag laws. Because when anybody and everybody talks about Uvalde or any other mass shooting, people of all stripes agree that somebody who's bat bleep crazy should not have a gun. We don't want them to. The trick is preventing it from happening. Some people will make it sound really easy. Well, we just need red flag laws. Now, all my life I've heard how complicated the realm of mental health is. Right? It's complicated. We can't say people are crazy or insane. There's a thousand, a hundred thousand varieties. But, but it also involves a fallibility of human beings, right? There's a, you can't pee on a strip and they go, oh, you, red flag. You have to be adjudged. You have to be evaluated. And we have heard people say for years, that red flag laws can be abused by whoever is in power. They can red flag whoever they don't like. Do you believe that, and I'll just use the Democrats because they're in power now, do you believe the Democrats would never red flag somebody they politically disagreed with? Because they've actually already done it. They're saying, why is Ben Shapiro allowed to have a gun? He should be red flagged. Eric Swalwell said that the other day. You know, the commie, the commie humping congressman from California. Yeah. We need red flag laws for lunatics like Ben Shapiro. 
If they're talking about that even hypothetically, you know it would be abused. All right, if you're a Democrat, I'll turn it around the other way. The Republicans are in power. They have everything. They control everything. You're not worried that they'll red flag your side or people who raise their head on your side? Because I'm sure they would. Red flag laws are a politician's playground. They're talked about like they're this precise scalpel tool, but they're really a very blunt and all too familiar instrument. If you can take anything that's a right and arbitrarily strip certain people of it, that thing is no longer a right. That's become a license or a privilege. So when I saw my mom uh, last week, she was all excited. She had been watching the uh, the Queen's Jubilee, you know, the mm-hmm. celebration of 70 years of Queen Elizabeth. She really is into that stuff. She's one of those people that loves, she knows all the royal family tree. And she had watched some, um, I guess they had a big outdoor. I haven't followed any of it, so I was, you know, I was trying to pretend I knew what she was talking about. She had watched this big outside concert and um, they'd had all these superstars performing before the royal family. And she, she mentioned Adam Lambert, which I was kind of amazed that my mom even knows who Adam Lambert is, you know. Uh, and then she goes, uh, she's naming bands and artists, and she goes, and they had Sirhan Sirhan perform. And I'm like, what? You, Sirhan Sirhan is the guy who killed Bobby Kennedy. That's who it was. I had to think. Do you mean Duran Duran? Oh, yes, yes. She goes, I don't like him. I said, well, it's not a him, it's a it's a band. But all I could think of the rest of the weekend was, imagine if they had Sirhan Sirhan perform. I mean, boy, those royals, they can get anybody. Seems like somebody Prince Andrew would probably know, right? All right, anyway, um, we've got a lot to talk about. We've got a lot going on here. And your calls at 210-599-5555. We're setting records with the power grid. Do you have confidence in the Texas power grid? Today's JR poll. We've got the, the uh, announcement of a deal, although we don't know the specifics, on gun control. Uh, where are you at on that? We get the J6 hearings. And the threats of violence against the Supreme Court. No, res, uh, no um, decision today from the Supremes about the Dobbs case. So that's something that could come later this week or next uh, week, as you heard uh, Bill Pyatt say. And two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five will get you in here. Larry is on KTSa. Larry, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jack. Uh, I don't know. My gut feeling is compromise. You know, and I would have uh, if I would have been a Republican, I would never have done that. I mean, I just don't trust the Democrats uh, and especially in this environment that we're in. And why can't we just the books on the law? OK, the laws that are I mean, I'm sorry, but the ones that are already on the books that are laws. Why is it that we can't seem to follow them? Why do we need something that a red flag? To me, a red flag is like, well, you know what? When you turn your ugly little head the other way, guess what? I'm going to go ahead and red flag this person and that person because I don't like them, because I don't trust them, because I don't believe what they believe in. And I just think that why would you put yourself in jeopardy? 
why would you? Well, they've already shown us what they now. would do with a red flag power. If you look at the deplatforming of conservatives, that's basically yeah. the red flag law for the First Amendment. So th- yeah. they've already shown you that for no other reason than disagreement, you can uh, have a right pulled out from under you. It's not hypothetical because they've already done it. Yeah. But the part that I don't get, Larry, is, you know, they're five months away from the midterms, which yeah. everyone says w- are going to go their way. So in five months, you can write the law you think we should have. You don't have to make a deal with Chris Murphy or or Eric Swalwell. So why are you doing that? That just, to me, I, honestly, some of the Republicans, like John Cornyn, I don't think I would avoid it, uh, vote, vote again for them. I think that there's a lot more rhinos in that party right now, the Senate, than what they let on. And I just, and, and I me, mean, I'm just tired of that, it's like what happened in Uvalde, like it was it was surreal. And why? Because it's a bureaucracy, okay? If you don't have the tools, okay, everybody's blaming each other. I mean, they're saying that supposedly the head, head man there didn't have keys, didn't have a radio. Mm-hmm. Then it turns out that he was going to do this, that he was doing that. But you see, the, the bureaucrats just don't get it. I mean, when mm-hmm. your life is on the line, all mm-hmm. these things, all these mm-hmm. precautions, all these yep. uh, uh, one exit, one entrance, you know, yep. fortify your windows, all that, it isn't done. How many more of these are going to happen before we go, wait a minute, we're going to sit down and we're going to do something right. about it. We're going to fund. Right. And it's too late because 19 are no longer breathing. Children. That's great point. Teacher. Great point. Well, very well said, Larry. Thank you, sir. I appreciate your call. Very well said. You know, Larry kind of said something I was thinking about. I, was, I had a lot of time to think on this trip because I was on airplanes and in airports, and um, I probably would do the show better if I had more time to think. But anyway, um, less talk and more thinking. But anyway, I was, uh, I was thinking, why is the entire discussion about gun control what we are horrified by is a massacre at a school we are horrified by was the taking of innocent lives. Why aren't we having a school hardening debate, a school security debate? In other words, it, it, you, the first thing you've got to do is protect the next classroom, not deal off in the future of hypotheticals and who might or might not be able to get a gun and what type of gun they might be able to get. There's hundreds of millions of guns already out there. Okay? I don't think this is a gun problem, but even if you think it is, the first order of business, if you're sincere about this, would be to harden the schools, would be to protect the schools. We're going we're gonna to stop anyone and anything with any kind of tool from getting in there. And then, like Larry says, and it's a very good point, if I can amplify it a little bit, you don't have a key? You don't have a radio? You want to know why people believe they are their own defense? You want to know why people believe they have to protect themselves, their families, their homes, their their kids, their property? You, you want to know why? Is this really a moment to ask people, hey, come on, just call someone? I mean, from everything we're hearing, 
The calls went out immediately. Chief Arredondo was there immediately. He ran, he says. That's why he didn't have his radio, because he didn't like running with it. That's what he said. All of this makes the case for you are your own defense. It certainly doesn't make the case for outsourcing it. And I think people are realizing that. And so that makes the... Look, I'm not. they're not the worst people in the world. I don't think John Cornyn's an evil, terrible person with horns or anything. It just makes it frustrating and inexplicable that he's been given the votes and given the trust of Texans for generations. He knows... And he sees what's coming in five months, unless he doesn't believe it. Maybe they don't really believe it's going to happen, this red wave. But if you thought, hey, in five months, we will be the majority, we will be able to write bills, and we won't even have to sit down with them, or they'll have to compromise with us, why would you not wait for that moment? And why is the priority controlling the guns owned by legal gun owners instead of blocking and, and, and uh, securing the schools. It looks to me like when kids go back to school in August, school buildings are going to be the same as they've always been. They'll be robbed elementary schools all over this country. That's what it looks like. We might have some new gun laws. Might have a new waiting period. We might have a red flag. We might have this, we might have that. We might have a background check, but... Meanwhile, for the guns that are already out there, the schools will be sitting right where they were before. Does that seem right to you? Is that, is that how you would have fixed it? It's not how I would have fixed it. Uh, the uh, experts say that all around the country, the grids are under great stress. There is not enough capacity, and blackouts are likely to occur in different parts of the country this summer. The Midwest just lost an 800-megawatt nuclear plant in Michigan, it was taken offline. They closed it. And um, they've known for years they were taking it down. And a lot of local politicians fought to prevent the closure. But now that it's closing, they're spinning it as, well, this is what we've always wanted. This is what we, we're, we're transitioning. So it's interesting to me, we look at the power grid here in Texas and we think, well, okay, here we, we get it. You know, our leaders get it. They get it. They're not trying to do all this with windmills and solar. Or, or are they? In other words, when we have blackouts, are we going to be told that those are the energy equivalent of no baby formula or high gas prices? Oh, it's a transition. Oh, you're... You've got no AC, and your lights won't come on, and you can't get anything out of the fridge. Transition! We're transitioning to an exciting new future. There's one thing when you can count on the politicians to frantically try to save their own butts. It's another when they're embracing the chaos. You know, this is like the captain of the Titanic is aiming straight at the iceberg, okay? Captain Biden is steering right at the iceberg. He wants to hit it.
It's the plan to hit it. That's what they say. What are you supposed to do with that? 210-599-5555. And the pain is felt by the people that politicians claim to be defending. So as everything gets more expensive or scarce, there's nothing good about this. There's no, there's no uh, oh, the, the hidden benefits of inflation, you know. That would be like telling people when there was a, a food shortage, well, finally, you'll be able to lose some weight. The thing about inflation is it erases or outstrips the growth of your wages and income. So your, your income doesn't go up. Your, infl- your income isn't having inflation. Your, your paycheck isn't having inflation. And I told the story on the Jack Riccardi Just a Minute video today. I went to rent a car in Boston Wednesday night, last Wednesday night. Get into the airport. They have a place where all the rental car companies are located together. There's this long, 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 long desk. And there's a section of it for each company. And usually you would get in the line for your desk. You're an Avis customer or a Payless customer, a budget customer. But I went to the airport and there was only... Two people manning the whole center. And actually, it was only one because she was training the other lady. So the other lady couldn't do um, process the paperwork. All these people are in line. All these big planes are landing from all over the world in Boston. One lady for rental cars. And when I got up there and did my paperwork with her, and I'd never met her before. She didn't know me from Adam. And I think she had said this to other people not just to me, she said, please, if you know anyone who will work, who wants work, send them to us. So the reason this is like this is we cannot get people to work here. They broke the economy. The politicians broke the economy. Both parties started under Trump, continued under Biden. They broke the economy. Apparently didn't know or care that this would happen. Somehow believed they could just flip it back on like a light switch when the cases went down. <laughs> and I mean, they can't get people to work. And how many times have you encountered that at a restaurant, at a store? We don't have people. We are understaffed. We're not fully staffed. I'm sorry we can't get to you. There'll be a longer wait. We've talked on this show about excuse signs. They've become a norm. Don't get your hopes up for good service. <laughs> Hope you're not in a hurry. We don't have that thing you came in for. We don't have it. So it's real pain. It's the real world. But we're being governed by people that have theories. And um, of course, inflation is directly re- related to the pandemic. The inflation is due to all the billions and trillions that the government printed and injected into the economy and degraded the value of money. So it destroyed the value of money. When you destroy the value of money and you destroy incomes and you erase savings, and you make it impossible for people to budget, it's like an economy destroying itself from within. It's like an animal eating its own tail. And that's what's happening right now. 
And so the only remedy for where we're at, I mean, I hope that lady gets some help at the rental car center because she was beside herself. She looked like she was on her last nerve. But really the only remedy is um, we have to fire the people that did this. Every time we have a chance, every time their name comes up on a ballot, fire them. 210-599-5555. And uh, talking about our poll question, inflation, the Democratic-Republican deal on guns, the J6 hearings, and many other things. And Pete is on KTSA. Pete, good afternoon. Yes, sir. Just a chime in about the inflation. One of my favorite things that they love to toss this word around is the transitory inflation. They act like this is temporary. They act like this will eventually go away, like your food prices are eventually going to come down or your gas prices might come down. Well, the scary part is it feels like all of this is very much intentional. They string us along by saying, oh, it's just transitory. This is going to go away. Well, I don't believe that. And if you believe that, you might want to, you know, take a little reality check. But, uh, The sad part is, if you look at places like Venezuela, if you look at places like Argentina, if you look at places like Weimar, Germany, you know, when their economies crashed, you know, it's very similar. I mean, I'm not saying we're heading towards a complete crash of the economy, but as prices just continue to skyrocket, and like you were saying, no one's wages are increasing. And even if they were, you'd still have an inflation and deflation event occurring simultaneously. And when that occurs, that's never good. But all I'm getting at is we're in very scary territory Mm -hmm. here, folks. And uh, I just, uh, I don't know what the answer is, but I can tell you this much. We are in kind of uncharted waters. We are. We are. Because I agree with what you're saying, but I'll add one more thing to it. When I don't know how old you are, but I remember in the 70s hearing... Uh, presidents like Ford and Carter talk about insurance, they uh, about inflation rather, and they talked about it like it was an enemy. They talked about beating it. They had whip inflation now was a slogan. People would wear pins that said W-I-N. In other words, the politicians spoke of inflation like something that needed to be quickly brought down. These politicians you're describing today, Pete, talk about insurance. I, I mean, I keep saying insurance, inflation as a benefit it is a transition it is a uh it is the the road to our green energy future it is the road to our one world lifestyle they are they are not promising you dollar 60 gallon gasoline in every other era politicians would have been assuring you that in no time they're going to have gas prices back down to 150 180 $3 they're not even saying that. Now, I'm not saying they, they know how to do that. I'm saying, at least in the past, they would have acted like, and I actually think would have wanted, to whip inflation. These progressives are whipping up inflation. I don't think this is oopsie. I think when they were giving out Biden bucks and doing trillion-dollar stimulus packages, they knew full well I think Yellen and uh, Powell and these people were telling them, of course it's going to lead to Weimar Germany levels of inflation. Yes, of course we're headed for it. They're okay with it. They're not pretending 
that it's an atrocity. They're justifying it to you. And if you complain about it, well, you're the problem. I, I think that's the difference. You could count on politicians in yesteryear to save their own asses. Or try to. These people are not. This is a, this is a, a kamikaze mission for them. It reminds me of the way Democrats passed Obamacare. Do you remember how everyone said, you're going to get slaughtered in the midterms? We don't care. We're doing it. And they did get slaughtered. There's no reasoning with people like that. And that, to go back to the, the thing about Cornyn and the Republicans, you can't go into a room with people like that and say, well, we'll, we'll give them half of our loaf and they'll give us half of their loaf. It doesn't work that way. You can't negotiate with fanatics. What makes a fanatic a fanatic is that he or she will will not settle for anything less than 100%. By the way, when this deal was announced yesterday, it's really it's really not clear what's in it. We 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 have very little in the way of specifics. It's not a bill, it's some sort of handshake agreement. But I thought it was very interesting how people like David Hogg and March for Our Lives, and these other radical anti-gun groups immediately came out. They praised it as if they knew more about it than we do. And then they said, this is a good first start. This is a good beginning. And I'm sitting there going, well, wait a minute. I thought this was a compromise. (laughs) Nope. It's a down payment. That's different, isn't it? Right? They're saying, we'll be back for more. This isn't going to be all of it. 210-599-5555. There's an interesting thing going on in the sports world. I just want to run this by you. I know a lot of you are not sports fans, but there is, in the golf world, there's this big controversy because forever in a day you had the PGA, and the PGA was everything. It was the Professional Golfers Association. The Saudis have started up a rival league. Okay? And major golfers are taking huge paydays. I'm talking about Phil Mickelson and others. They're taking huge paydays to go play in this rival league funded by the Saudis. And it's golf is normally a pretty controversy-free sport, right? It's probably the, the least controversial sport there is. All of a sudden, there's all this, all this rancor and bitterness and division and professional golf. And then the the commissioner of the PGA came out and he gave this talk very sanctimoniously about how how shameful it was that these players were taking money from the Saudis because the Saudis, you know, we all know what the Saudis do. We all know what they're about. And I thought to myself, I, I don't really think anyone in professional sports is in a position to lecture anyone else about who you take money from or who you give money to. They may be the last people in America that should ever deliver a lecture on the morals of money. Whether it's professional sports leagues bowing to the Chinese, whether it's the Cleveland Browns giving Deshaun Watson more money 
than Robert Kraft paid to buy the New England Patriots. Imagine that. The Cleveland Browns bought an accused rapist quarterback for more money than Kraft spent buying what became the most valuable franchise in sports. Let that sink in. Who cares? They're, they're taking money from the Saudis, and the NBA's taking money from China. Wake me when it's over. Also, this is interesting. There's a guy named Jack Del Rio. If you're a football fan, you know who he is. He's been a, an NFL head coach and a coordinator for many, many, many years. I think the last time he was a head coach was with Oakland, when there was an Oakland. Um, but now he's the, the defensive coordinator for Washington. And Jack Del Rio got into a controversy because he made the point that you perhaps have made and you've heard me make that um, it seems odd to have all of this um, focus on the January 6th attack on the Capitol and so little interest in uh, the rioting and um, destruction in our cities in the summer of 2020. He he made the point very in a very low-key way. He wasn't throwing verbal hand grenades or using inflammatory language. I guess I guess to some people that's an inflammatory idea, but he made this these remarks and expressed these opinions on Twitter uh, because apparently this is how he feels. And there was a big call to um, to have him fired. In fact, the Virginia legislature has threatened to withhold funding for the new stadium unless Jack Del Rio is fired by the Washington Commanders. And he's now off of Twitter. And um, all these people are saying it's outrageous and it's terrible and how dare he and he shouldn't say it. He's paid a fine. It's not enough. And here's the part that's confusing to me. I thought it was stunning and brave when people in professional sports express their opinion. I thought it was stunning and brave when people in professional sports uh, spoke out controversially. I thought we, I thought we called that heroic and inspiring. Why isn't Jack Del Rio a big hero to these people? I mean, he's said something you're not supposed to say. It's unpopular. It's probably unpopular with the players and in the locker room. And he apparently really believes it because there certainly wouldn't be any other reason to say it given the position he's in. They're such hypocrites, right? So it's stunning and brave when one guy does it. The next guy does it. He should be fired. He's one of the best coordinators. Frankly, I would say he's probably one of the best unemployed head coaches in the NFL. There are guys with head coaching jobs way less qualified than Jack Del Rio. And I'm not saying that because I agree with him about January 6th. I would have said that before I even knew his opinion. But it's it's just the the hypocrisy. They should just, if they can't handle the simple idea of consistency, they should just forget about it. So either it's always good when you wear your feelings on your sleeve or it never is. But there's no keeping up with these people and their changing standards and rules. and You know, everybody sees it. And if you're right now saying, I hate when he talks about sports, this is probably why. 
I know a lot of people that say, I hate the NFL, I hate sports, I hate when you talk about it on your show. These are people that used to watch it. This is the reason they don't, and I get that, I do. But I had to point it out because it's so glaring. I hope he sticks to his guns, and I hope he keeps his job. These days, it's not likely that both of those things will happen, right? Here's an email from Gerald. This came in last week. I just didn't have a chance to get it on the air till now. It's a great take on this uh, topic. Uh, Gerald writes, I'm a Marine. I signed the line at age 18, knowing it might put me in a situation that cost me my life. I was old enough to make that decision. You are either an adult at 18 or you aren't. It's really that simple. Military, voting, drinking, etc. He says, myself and most that I know personally agree that you don't want unstable, crazy people buying guns. Where our problem lies with this and confiscation is the people that get to decide who gets on the crazy list. Those laws get written by the party in power and get interpreted by the people in power. They already call people I refer to as patriots domestic terrorists. And that's all he wrote. That really says it all. And I can say that with an open mind and an open heart to both sides of the aisle. If you buy into this, this thinking that's become the, the, the rage post-Uvalde, then what you're saying is whoever wins the next election and each subsequent election will determine whether or not you have a right. We know that they don't have the restraint, respect, statesmanship, whatever you want to call it, to not use those powers as vengeance against their enemies. Look, we're still trying to impeach a president who's not even in power. It doesn't even end when you're out of office. It doesn't even end after the election's over. Elections aren't ever, really ever over anymore. Have I, has either side let the 2020 election be over? I would say no. You may have, but there are people on both sides that won't let it be over. Trump is not done. He's still impeachable. That's what these are, these J6 hearings. It's the third Trump impeachment. So if you're saying, gee, it seems reasonable or commonsensical to allow um, people in authority to dole out or withhold rights, that will be more than just guns, and that will be whoever prevails. Hi. That will be whoever prevails in the election. Has there ever been an election in your lifetime that you thought, wow, people really got that one wrong? Can't believe they went for that guy. I can't believe they fell for that line or voted in that party. If you've ever felt that way, then that's why this is a terrible idea. And like he says, we all we all want an outcome. We can all agree that somebody like the Uvalde killer, we don't want him with a gun. We don't want him near a school. There's no debate about that. We probably don't even want him out and about. But we ought to be focused first on protecting his intended victims. And we're not. We're not even talking about that. That's not in the the framework 
That's not in the debate. We went on for days about those poor children, but then we reverted right back to the gun, the gun, the gun. We always go back to what we really want, don't we? You know, you can try for a while. It's like every January, you know, you make your New Year's resolutions. I'm going to eat salads. Salad is delicious. I never realized how much I like salad. But then, you know, January turns into February, turns into March, and you're not eating salad anymore. I'm going to work out every morning. January, yeah, you do. Then February, I know because I work out every morning. The place is empty out. After the first couple of weeks of January, they're back to normal. And we're doing it now. We said this would be different. We said this is this time's different. I, I'm sure there were people who meant that, just like they mean it about the salad, but then it doesn't happen. We go back to what we really want. And so what's happening now is is a power struggle. Dressed up as a, we care about children, we want to keep America safe. It's a power struggle. It's what it is. And every once in a while, the mask slips and you can see it. Like when they talk hypothetically about who they would use a red flag law against. And it turns out not to be somebody dangerous or certifiable, but just somebody they find annoying or disagreeable. I mean, people are people. This is what we do. If you give us the power, it's what we will do. You know, we're to the point now where 98 is like, oh, what a relief. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) How refreshing. Ooh, let me get a sweater. Yes. Oh, man. I was up in Boston. The highs were 75. Yeah. The lows were like 58. I had a polo shirt on. They were like, do you want do do you want a sweater or something? I'm like, no, no, you don't understand. I've been waiting to feel this way. (laughs) I'm, I'm absolutely fine with it. Um, 210-599-5555 will get you in here on this dreadful little show. Big thanks to Sean and Trey for covering for a few days last week. I was not on vacation. I had to go to a funeral and uh, be with family for a couple of days. A very short trip, but that's just when it fell, so I had to miss those uh, three days. And uh, really appreciate those guys. I was saying to somebody this morning, I said, I don't know, I don't know where else in America you can work at a radio station where the fill-in guys are in the Radio Hall of Fame. I mean, that's just, I can't I, I can't wrap my head around that idea, but thank you to both of them for doing that. Um, and here we are, later in this hour, we're going to see how you voted on the uh, first JR poll in several days, talking about the power grid. You know, I, I, I was mentioning earlier that um, all my life I've heard people talk about and complain about politicians. My dad was a big one for that. He would write letters to the editor. He had a he had a sign in his garage that said, no politicians or dogs allowed. You know, it was an old saying back then. Um, I think now he'd probably let the dogs in but keep the politicians out. But um, the, the difference between then and now is that no matter how mangy and horrible and stinky and greedy the politicians were, when the chips were down, you could count on them to try to save their own hides. So whether it was inflation or gas prices or whatever was plaguing people, the idea was, well, they might not do it for the right reasons, but they're going to do something because they're they're toast if they don't. They're they're finished. 
we could kind of count on that. We didn't know it at the time. We didn't think of that as a virtue, but we could kind of count on that. So Democrat, Republican, left, right, gas prices spike, got to get them down or we're going to get killed in the next election. For the first time in my lifetime, we have elected or we are governed by people who embrace the misery. They think we should too. They are not subtle about it. They are breaking the system because we need a new one. They're not reforming it, nibbling it around the edges, making it a little bit better. They're destroying it. I don't think that that sounds like a very dramatic thing to say, but I don't think it's too strong a word. They're destroying the economy. Stuff doesn't work. People don't work. I don't think that was an oopsie. I think that was intentional. They told us for years we needed to reset it. They told us for years America's not exceptional. They're Now they're making sure that's true. They used to say you couldn't make it in America. We would respond, yeah, if you try hard, you can. But now that may not be true. They used to mock and ridicule people that tried harder, worked harder, came early, stayed late. But they couldn't stop you from doing it. Now they're ready to forgive student loan debt and shift it to people who didn't go to college, making a guy that went right to work pay for someone who didn't. And it's what one columnist, Peggy Noonan, in the Wall Street Journal calls the boiling over of America. And she starts off by pointing out that the other day, voters in San Francisco, by a landslide, recalled their progressive district attorney. Los Angeles, which is having a mayoral election, just had its first round of voting, and the top vote-getter, it's going to be a runoff, but the top vote-getter was a middle-of-the-road, pro-police, pro-social order, pro-business, lower regulation, former Republican, a businessman named Rick Caruso. And she says, look, these are liberal cities, Los Angeles and San Francisco are and will continue to be, but they're, they're, they're firing progressives. And why is that? Because they can't live with these policies. In the San Francisco recall, minority voters backed the recall more than white voters did. Noonan says that's because they suffer more and have fewer protections when crime spikes and homelessness spreads. So if you're an African-American or Hispanic resident of San Francisco and they change the rules on arrest or incarceration or parole, I'm sorry, uh, not parole, but uh, bail, and you say you're doing that to benefit minorities and then minorities come back to you and say this isn't working for us or defunding the police isn't working for us, Progressives don't say, oh, well, we certainly wouldn't want to lose your support. We'll, we'll fix this. Progressives say, no, you're wrong. It is working. And these voters say, no, it isn't. We're, we're, we don't feel safe. Our neighborhoods have become more dangerous. Our streets are unsafe. No, you're wrong. 
And if you keep arguing with progressives, they still don't change or see the light. They start blaming you. You're a racist. You're a racist. You don't know what you're talking about. But I'm living it. No, you don't know. And so the only remedy is to fire them, and they get fired by people they don't think will fire them. This guy in Frisco never believed that the voters that had just put him in would take him out. Those school committee members that were recalled in San Francisco, I think it was three or four of them, they, had, they, they never thought they'd be recalled. They laughed at it. They scoffed at it. But they were recalled. Now, it doesn't mean that San Francisco is going to swing and become a rightward-leaning city. It just means that people can't live with these policies. Peggy Noonan writes, a characteristic of progressive politicians is they tend to be high IQ, stupid people. They're bright and well-educated, but they can't comprehend the implication of policy. They don't understand that if an 18-year-old is repeatedly arrested for assaulting people on the street and repeatedly let go, his thought won't be, what a gracious and merciful society I live in. Let me do more to live up to it. His thought will be, I can hit anybody and get away with it. They're afraid of me. And I think she's right. Criminals, she writes, calculate. Normal people know this and anticipate it. It's an eccentricity of progressive politicians that they don't. But it's not really an eccentricity. It's more of a methodology. See, if you, if, let's say you are against capitalism. You think capitalism is evil. You're going to run out of breath trying to persuade people that it's evil. You've got to wreck it. You've got to destroy it. You've got to literally blow it up. Whether you burn down a business or make it impossible for people to operate one, same effect, right? You have to destroy it. You can't persuade people away from it. Even people that claim to like socialism also like all of their consumer products and personal electronics. and So you've got to blow it up. We have to have a recession. We have to have high inflation. We have to have unaffordable gas and food and baby formula because only then do we get to put a new system in, the one they've always wanted. We'll never choose it while the other one's working, right? You, you're not going to choose socialism during the 2019 economy. You're not going to win any battles with that but if you can convince people that capitalism failed oh look folks it doesn't work anymore sorry it's broken see gotta get rid of it throw it away well then you have a chance i think this is what the january 6 hearings are about too the two-party system's broken we can't trust republicans we can't have a two-party system. We can't, have, we can't risk them ever winning an election. We can't risk elections. Elections are unpredictable. Who knows what people will do? There are other Trumps out there. What if they choose another one? So we have to persuade people that it's broken. It's irretrievably broken. Can't be fixed. Sorry, folks, we can't fix it. You'll need a new one. And that's the disconnect. You and I look at this and we go, well, why the hearings about that but not about the BLM riots in 2020? Well, because the BLM riots in 2020 weren't dysfunctional for them, the politicians. They were dysfunctional for us. 
210-599-5555. They lie about stuff. And then they turn around and tell us we need a ministry of disinformation. They repeat and propagate lies, but claim we are not intelligent enough to recognize when we are being lied to. You may be surprised to hear me say this, but I not only don't think they're right, I don't think this will work for them. I'm not pessimistic about this. I just think this is what they're trying to do. I'm not predicting they will get away with it. They might, but I I don't think they will. And the other thing about the January 6th hearings that I think has turned a lot of people off is when... Ever they have been asked, and it's not often, but occasionally a, an intrepid anchor or anchorette will will dare ask a, a Schumer or a Pelosi or somebody, well, what about all this, uh, you know, the inflation, the baby formula, the gas price? People are more concerned about that. What, and, you, and that's when they tell you, if you are not more concerned about January 6th. You are selfish. You are venal. You are flawed. You're a bad person. Your personal needs shouldn't come before that. They're even making the Nazi Germany reference. They're saying, well, you know, um, this would be like if uh, Germans cared more about inflation than about Hitler. And you know, whenever anybody makes the Hitler reference, that you know they've lost the argument. They know they've lost the argument, right? And Jason is on KTSA. Jason, good afternoon. Hey, how you doing, Jack? Good to hear your voice. Glad you made it back. Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, I just was calling in. Like I've, you know, I've kind of figured something out a while back. But when it comes to inflation, even the gun control, and us, you know, thinking, you know, left, Democrats, right, Republicans, like. Uh, Used to our congressmen and senators represented us, but now it's gotten to the point where they've got too much power, and it kind of started back when they took away term limits from themselves. And uh, one way I wanted to put it into people's perspective is if, if, if I gave every one of your listeners $100 and told them to give you a penny in return, every one of them would do it. They wouldn't flinch. They'd be like a penny out of 100 Well, they'll let's use a billion dollars. That same .001% is $10,000. And then if you go a dollar on that $1 billion, a dollar out of that $100 bill compared to a dollar out of the billion, which would be a million dollars, which is life-changing. And it shows you how much power they have to pull the strings to create, to create the crises. And the biggest problem we have is that they, there's no term limit. So these, they go unvetted, and they can control the purse strings, and they write the legislation. Therefore, they're getting all the money because I guarantee you they're all getting kickbacks on both sides. Mm-hmm. So do they represent us anymore? I don't think so, and I think that mm-hmm. – that, that's an you, answer to you a lot. said that um, you said when they took away the term limits, we've actually never had term limits. Right. For the senators and Congress, since they don't have well, since they don't have term limits, excuse me, I don't mean take it away. But no. since they don't what have we what limits. we had, what was different was we used to have a, uh, it used to be that most districts and even many states were, uh, you know, 50 50 could go either way. And right. what we've done is we've we've sorted ourselves out in terms of the states and then they've gerrymandered the congressional districts so that in America today there are very few states and really only a handful of house districts that are truly 50-50, you know, toss-ups. Right. 
And, but, and, and then, but I mean, for the average American, most of us kind of go through and we don't think about actually what's going on behind the scenes as far as how much money they are in control of. Because just in, in uh, federal income tax, they're bringing in, what, $3 trillion a year. That's none of the other taxes, corporate taxes, anything else. Right. And right. So, no, I, I, I think your point about the money. money is a good one. I, I think it's important, though, that people know why they don't care. Even if right. you were to tell them this, they right. don't care that you know it. Because as long as they are pleasing the base that their district is drawn for, they can right. serve in that seat until they die, and they do. Absolutely. And, and then the fact now that they control you know, every branch of the media and social media, they control the narrative because like, they, they don't even – the mainstream media didn't even talk about the Kavanaugh thing this weekend. Not one, not right. one of them talked about right. it. You know? right. And so they can control what you think, and that's the scary right. part about it. Jason, I think those are great points. I appreciate having you. Thank you for the thank you for the call. I, I do think that the one thing I'll add to Jason's comment is, yes, they do control a lot, but they are freaking out about what they don't control. That's why they talk so much about Twitter and social media, disinformation, talk radio, because they, you know, Joe Rogan, because they don't have control over that. And so that becomes a problem when they were expecting commentators and reporters to afflict them with questions and skepticism that was different but now that they've pretty much buttoned that down the, the few things that are still flapping in the breeze so to speak are really really scaring and, and and aggravating them and god help us i hope we continue to aggravate them that's our best hope and I do think every day people are seeing this. I, I do think when you are let, when, when people like Nancy Pelosi are going on drag queens and lecturing people about why they shouldn't mind paying five dollars for gasoline or baby formula is not there or whatever, when you lecture people, hey, you're the thing you think is important, you're wrong. I'm going to tell you what's really important. Keep doing that, Nancy. Keep talking that way. I want Joe Biden, when they say we're going to have Joe Biden go around the country and talk more about his policies, I'm all for it. I'll, I'll drive the car. Because the more he talks about this, the more the light bulbs are going off. You see it. I, I noticed it up north. I, I went to a place that helped put this guy in office. He is not their darling right now. The worm has turned. I um, We mentioned old media. Jason mentioned control of the media. Um, this was an interesting story. The Washington Post had a story about how Gannett, which is one of the biggest media companies in the world, Gannett owns USA Today, hundreds of newspapers around America. They own television stations, other things. Gannett has announced they're going to scale back editorial and opinion columns. They're going to lay off columnists and editorial writers and reduce op-ed pages. And they explain the decision because, quote, opinion pages are alienating readers and becoming obsolete, unquote. Okay, that's what they say. But here's the real reason. Their opinions are bad for business. Their themes 
their leanings are terrible if you want to have advertisers, if you want to lure sponsors, if you want to make a profit. The stuff they editorialize for and come out in favor of is the antithesis of what people who are in business want and need. And furthermore, how can people even tell anymore what a column is or an editorial is? I say this with all respect. I have friends in the business, but the average article at MySA.com is as biased and slanted and opinionated as anything that the opinion writers over there write. So what's the difference? Why have columnists? Everybody's a columnist. Why, why, why have people that are, you know, taking a side? Everyone's taking a side. So the news side of newspapers is eating itself or cannibalizing itself against the opinion section. And from what I see, this is how we're training journalists now. People are coming out of the J schools with the idea that I need to be an activist. I need to make a difference. We used to think it made a difference if you told the story. But now you only feel like you're making a difference if you're moving the needle. These young men and women are being trained in a way that, at least to me, suggests they're never going to try to tell one down the middle or play one down the middle. I don't mean that as a disparagement of them. I don't think it's, it's even occurred to them that that would be what they should do. Crusading, activism, party, you know, party operative with a byline. That's, that's what they're being told. That's what's being modeled for them. So, I guess you could either say there'll be fewer editorials from now on, or the whole thing is editorials. PSA News Time at 6.37. So I went up to a funeral. I was not on vacation. I went to a funeral. My aunt, my last remaining aunt. And um, I was in the funeral home. Why couldn't I not think of that name? The funeral home, the funeral parlor, we used to call it. Uh, with my uh, cousins, her, her adult children. They're all around my age and their kids and others. And Anyway, um, you know, you go to a thing like that, people just, mainly you just talk. You just make conversation. It's it's nominally about the person who's passed away, but it becomes more about the people that are still alive. I have to tell you, I've, I've been away from New England now for, I've lived down here for 27 years, but I had moved away before I came here. So I've been out of New England for over 30 years. In all the visits that I've made, all the times I've gone back up there, all the times I've been with these people and other family and friends, never have so many people said to me, in so many words, I'm paraphrasing, now we know why you went there. <laughs> now we get it. Because when I first said I was moving, I was a young idiot, and people were like, "You're cra what, Texas, you're crazy. You don't want to go there. Now, the whole country's coming to Texas. And they get it. 
And we talked a lot about that. There were a lot of questions. And it used to be, I used to get questions, you know, like, is there a cactus everywhere? Or do you, do you ride a horse to work? Or, by the way, the answer is no. They don't ride a horse to work. But um, now it was like, yeah, we hear that, uh, you know, housing prices are better and this better and you got that. And how much are you paying for gasoline? You know, gas was already well over $5 up there. Down here, I think I paid four fifty nine before I left. So it took a while, but they're starting to they're starting to see it. I just want you to know there's glimmers of hope here and there. Um, we've had Vernon Jones on the show before. Uh, really interesting guy. He's in Georgia. He's running for Congress in Georgia. He he's an African American conservative, and we've talked about and he talks a lot about that experience, the experience of not believing what you are expected to believe or supporting what you are expected to support as a black man in America. They were talking about Vernon Jones on a podcast called The Young Turks. It's progressives. And they were mocking him. Let me play this clip for you. I want you to hear this. So here is the host of the Young Turks podcast and a guest cutting up about Vernon Jones, cut number four. I wonder if they make Vernon dance in private for them. (laughs) (laughs) I actually think if they told Vernon Jones to twerk for a vote, he would twerk for a vote. So certainly for a dollar. (laughs) Right, for sure. Mm. So there's a black man who's just in it for the money. He's just he's just their their uh you know their amusement on the right. He tweeted this out and wrote there's nothing the left hates more than a black man who thinks for himself and I will spend I will never spend another day as a slave on their plantation. End quote. It isn't just black men though. The left doesn't like it when anyone who's supposed to be in the fold sticks their head out, takes a meander over here, or thinks a little bit about that, or starts to read a different viewpoint, or entertain some different ideas, question the orthodoxy. They hate it. Have you noticed how fast they turn on you? They don't even try to win you back. They're not trying to get Vernon to come back. Even in the slave days, they tried to get the slaves to come back to the plantation. Now, you're just chasing a dollar. You're just, you're just their amusement. The other day on The View, and I only bring this up because I know there's a lot of people who think the same way, but Joy Behar said that Republicans would get on board with gun control when they start seeing black people with guns. Get it? Republicans will be all in on gun control when they start seeing black people owning guns. The presumption being not only that Republicans are racist, but that apparently black people don't have guns. I mean, let's face it, black people don't have IDs, they don't know how to vote, they don't know how to 
um, get anything. They can't pass tests or get into school the same way everybody else does, right? That's the thinking of the of the white left, right? So they also probably don't have any guns. They don't own any guns. And there was a woman that saw this and was reacting to it. She made a TikTok that is absolutely chef's kiss brilliant. I want you to hear this lady. Cut number two. Listen to this. I have to ask, do some of y'all really think black people don't own guns? Like he said in his TikTok, the fastest growing demographic for gun ownership right now is black women. Those of y'all who claim to be anti-racist, like what do you really think when you see a black person? We can't get an ID or get a driver's license. Our children can't read, write, or do math or meet the standards set for graduation. We tremble at the sight of cops, so apparently we can't have cops in our neighborhoods. And now we don't own weapons. Part of the history of being black in America is that we are resourceful as hell. If there isn't a way, we will make one. But like he said and I said, black women are the leading demographic for gun ownership right now, and Republicans aren't screaming for gun control. The majority of gun violence is perpetrated by black men, but Republicans are still not screaming for gun control. Like you claim to not be racist, but you view us as weak. It doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense to me either. And I think it won't make sense to very many other people. You have to remember something when you get discouraged about the way things are going. And I don't say this to butter you up or flatter you, but you've had a head start, okay? You, you've figured this out a while ago, maybe a long time ago. There's a lot of people in our country who are just realizing things you've long known who are just seeing for the first time what you think is right out there in the open. How could they miss it? But don't be mad. The important thing is they're seeing it. The light bulbs are going off, right? Or the red pills or whatever, whatever analogy you want to use. The, every single excessive, over-the-top remark and gesture, every time the limousine liberals and the Far-out progressives misread us, insult us, insult black people, insult Hispanic people, call them Latinx. The light bulbs are going off. The realizations are happening. In fact, they're doing a better job of it than I could do. I spend all day crafting this show. I couldn't persuade as many people as they do with some of their antics. So let it, let it. Let it rip. I hope more people hear it and see it and think about it. And wh- Whoever this lady is, spot on. And by the way, she's right. If you look at the fastest growing demographics of gun ownership, it's not Charlton Heston. <laughs> okay. It's not Wayne LaPierre. It's, it's not people that already have guns and are buying more. It's people that are realizing they've defunded the police. They're announcing they won't do non-emergency calls because of gas prices. I have to defend myself. I've got to find a way. I've never done this before. I'm going to have to learn. And they will, and they are. Red magic set in play near All through the morning rain again. The sun doesn't shine. I've always loved this song. 
is Brothers Johnson, right, Don? Strawberry Letter 23. Yeah, this is, they used this in the, uh, Quentin Tarantino used this in the soundtrack to the movie Jackie Brown. The song had already been out forever, but once it was in that movie, have you ever seen that movie? Once you've seen that movie, you will never hear this song without thinking of that movie and the scene it's in. I won't give it away. Again, brilliant use of a great song. All right, on the JR poll, powered by Stevens Roofing tonight, we asked you, uh, how much confidence do you have in the Texas power grid these days? A lot or a little or or what? 86%, 86% said, I have a little confidence. And 14% said, I have a lot of confidence. And we'll have a new JR poll tomorrow when we get started at 4. Or you can find it anytime at KTSA.com. I, I don't know if this is going to surprise you like it surprised me or not i and i don't say this with any envy or jealousy but i just read that lifeguards lifeguards in los angeles county can make up to half a million dollars a year uh the top the highest paid lifeguards are earning in the three, four, and five hundred thousand dollar range. They are the senior most lifeguards. They are the chief lifeguards. I'm not putting down the profession. I just did. I I had no idea. I mean, obviously, if you need a lifeguard, they're priceless. Um, turns out that only two of the top twenty highest paid lifeguards are women. The rest are all men. Where are the protest marches? Good grief. And a lot of it is overtime and other things. So, again, just throwing that out there. Thought that was interesting. Here's another thing you probably never thought of doing. I hope you never thought of doing. Did you ever think that you could mail your children? <laughs> I don't care how frustrated you ever were. I don't care how bad a day they were giving you. Did you ever think the post office would deliver your children? You could mail your children. I did not know this, but at one time, people did it. And on this day, in 1920, the U.S. Postal Service banned shipping children. They had to make a rule because people had done it. People had done it. A woman in Batavia, Ohio, sent a baby by parcel post. A baby weighing ten and a half pounds was delivered to the address of his grandmother. Postage was 15 cents. It's <laughs> a long time ago. A couple in Pine Hollow, Pennsylvania, shipped their daughter via rural carrier to some relatives in another part of the state, 45 cents. A baby was mailed from Stratford, Oklahoma to Wellington, Kansas. A mother going through a divorce in 1914 shipped her baby from Oklahoma to Indiana. The child was transported in a container marked live baby. <laughs> Apparently this is what, I mean, this is what people were doing. 17 cents postage. A 48-and-a-half-pound package was sent in a train's mail compartment in Idaho 
The package contained a four-year-old girl named May, whose parents were mailing her to her grandparents for the summer. So on June 13th, 1920, the Washington Herald ran, ran a story headlined, Can't Mail Kitties. The post office was announcing it had made a ruling, a policy, that children were not like animals. And because of the potential for danger or, or harm, they may not be mailed as parcel post. Quote, by no stretch of the imagination or language, said the ruling, can children be classified as harmless live animals that do not require food or water. So don't try it. And it's just hard to believe people ever did try it, but apparently they did. I'll see you back here tomorrow at 4. Remember, our show's available all the time, anytime, on demand at KTSA.com.